Father, we thank you for this time of the year, and we pray you would give us, Lord, an understanding of, of where Christmas and how Christmas fits in the big story. But also, Lord, you'd help us understand how our lives fit, Lord, in the one true story. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to do something a little bit different. I want to tell you a story. In fact, I want to tell you the story. In the movie, The Lord of the Rings, Frodo and Sam go on quite a journey. They encounter more wonders and more dangers than they could have ever possibly imagined. But at one point, Sam says this. He says, I wonder what sort of tale we have fallen into. Now, Sam could not have asked a better question. See, he assumes by asking that question that there is a tale, there is a story, something that is larger going on. He also assumes that they have somehow tumbled into this story. Somehow they've been swept into this story. What sort of tale have I fallen into? Now that's a question that would help us all a great deal if we could ask it of ourselves. What sort of tale have you fallen into? I think that might be the most important question anyone ever asks. See, the truth is that life is, in fact, a story. It's a story with a plot. It's a story that you and I have a certain role we're supposed to play in this story. But in order for us to know our role in the story, we have to know the plot. In fact, I think for us to really understand our role in the story, we need to understand the whole story. See, the problem for most people is they don't understand the whole story. For most people, life feels a little bit like arriving to a movie 45 minutes after it started and then leaving the movie 45 minutes before it's over and trying to make sense of the movie. See, the truth is that life is a story. John Eldridge points that out in his book entitled Epic. So life is a story, and you and I have been dropped into the story. But in order for us to understand the story, of course, we have to go back to the beginning of the story. So I want to take some time this morning to talk about how this story started. Then I want to talk about what went wrong in the story. And then what's going to happen next in the story. In fact, how this whole story is going to end. So let's go back to the beginning. All great stories seem to have the same storyline, by the way. They seem to start with something good, and then something awful happens. Think about all the movies you like, the books you love to read. They start off good, something awful happens, and then there's this great battle that must be fought or some journey that must be taken. And of course, there's a villain in the story. But then at just the right moment, when it feels usually like the last possible moment, a hero in the story comes and sets the things that are wrong, sets them right. And life is found again in the story, and it ends happily ever after. 
Now, the reason every great story, the stories you love, the movies you enjoyed, the reason every story pretty much follows the same storyline is because every good story borrows its power from the one true story. All great stories start off usually once upon a time, so they have a beginning. But the one true story actually starts before the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So before time began, in the one true story, there was perfect community. Something we call the Trinity. So this epic that we've been born into has a golden past has this intimate fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It doesn't, this story doesn't begin with a lonely universe, but it begins with pure love, pure community, perfection, God. And then God creates this universe, and, the begin, and we see this story begins to take place. But not too far into the story, something goes horribly wrong. By the way, have you ever wondered why every story has a villain, every good story? I mean, it's hard to think of a story that you really love that doesn't have a villain. All the way back from when we were kids and we read about the big bad wolf. And then we got a little bit older and it's the wicked witch of the West. And then we got a little bit older and it's Darth Vader. And then we got a little older and it's... Longshanks, enslaving Scotland, or Magua, the black-hearted Huron in Last of Mohicans. But the reason every good story has a villain is because the one true great story has one. See, the one true story has a villain by the name of Lucifer. Now, we know that Lucifer was one time a good angel. He was a cherub. He was, in fact, the most powerful of all the cherubim, the most beautiful, most majestic of all of the angels. He was the commander of the angel armies. In fact, he was the guardian, which is what the cherub do. He was the guardian of the glory of God. But something happened, and pride entered into his heart. And this excellent captain began to believe that somehow he got cheated. And he decided he didn't merely want to play this most noble role in the story. He wanted the story to be about him. So he rebelled against God. He betrayed God. And he tried to take the throne of God as he recruited a third of the angels to join him in this attempted coup. So the one true story has a villain. Evil enters into the story. By the way, I must interject here, life is very confusing for all of us if we do not take into account that there is a villain, that you have an enemy. 
So Satan mounted his rebellion on the power of an idea. And the idea was this. God is holding out on us. That's the way to recruit that third of angels to join him. God's holding out on us. But even after the insurrection was squelched, and it wasn't hard to squelch by God, and these and Lucifer, Satan, and his third of the angels were hurled over the high wall of heaven, even while the smoke was still rising from the insurrection, still lingering. Evil had entered this dreadful story, and the idea of whether or not God is good, this question was still lingering. And that's a question, of course, that Lucifer Satan tempts Adam and Eve with, is God holding out on you? Did he really say you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? Which leads us to another part of the one true story. There was a place called Eden. And we're haunted by Eden. It seems to find its way into almost every good story. There was a time when things were really good. There was a time when we were crowned with glory and honor. There was an Eden. That's why women long to be beautiful and men hope to be found brave. See, because we remember, if only faintly, we remember there once, that we were once more than we are now. There was a place called Eden. You see, God made us all, originally, Adam and Eve, with good hearts. He made us, he made mankind with this ability to love. I mean, the only way he could get love is he gave us freedom to love. God is all-powerful, but even if you have all power, you cannot make somebody love you. So he had to give Adam and Eve and mankind freedom to love. He is a God of love. But in giving freedom to love, of course, that gave him freedom to not love, to rebel. And then sin enters in, and something horrible happens in, to the story, and Eden is lost. And so is man's relationship with God, and the whole world falls under this dark captivity. By the way, it's interesting that there seems to be that in all the good stories as well. Captivity seems to come upon the people. When something horrible goes wrong, winter came to Narnia, Longshanks enslaved Scotland. Darth Vader and the Emperor have the universe under their evil control. Story after story, what happens? Paradise is lost. That's what went wrong. But all these stories, they don't end there. All great stories have this heroic rescuer enters in somewhere in the story. Do you know why all great stories have an heroic rescuer? Because the one true story does. Think about the stories you love. Jack will come to rescue Rose in the Titanic. William Wallace will rise up and rescue Scotland. Luke Skywalker will rescue the princess and then free the peoples of the universe. Nathaniel will rescue Korah and last of the Mohicans. Neil breaks the power of the matrix and sets the, world, the captives 
for the world free, Aslan, Aslan comes to rescue Narnia. So why does every great story have a rescuer, an heroic rescuer? Because the one true story does. And by the way, and because our story does. So who is the rescuer in the one true story? Well, that's obvious. Most of us wouldn't have a hard time figuring that out. The Son of God himself, the King of kings, he actually becomes part of creation. He becomes a human. He's born a baby in a manger on Christmas. It's the incarnation. That's what happens on Christmas, the incarnation. The Son of God sets aside his glory, clothes himself in humility, sneaks into the enemy's camp, disguised as a common man, a baby born in a manger, all for what? All to be the hero, to be the rescuer, and to win the love of his beloved. All-powerful cannot make someone love, so he's come to win our hearts. It's a love story. Now, the question is, of course, can we matter that much to him? And the answer is yes. We matter that much to him. He said he would come for us, and he did. So he comes on Christmas. He grows up as a man, showing us what God is really like, came to reveal what the Father's like, but he also came to win our hearts. And then he goes to the cross and takes our sins upon himself, absorbs our judgment so we could have forgiveness of sins and so we could have a relationship with God. How many of you noticed that most great stories, the hero seems to have to die? Think about that. William Wallace slowly and brutally is tortured for daring to oppose the wicked king. Neo's death and resurrection shatter the power of the matrix, setting the captives free. Aslan dies upon the stone table for the traitor Edmund and also for all Narnia. Maximus in the movie Gladiator, he dies in the arena for the freedom of his friends and for the freedom of Rome. Think another movie too. Captures this, another blockbuster movie. The movie Saving Private Ryan. Here it is, it's a dangerous mission. It's a, an invasion into enemy territory to save one man, Private Ryan. Do you remember the story? Well, let me remind you, let's watch this clip.
They're tank busters, sir. P-51s. Angels on our shoulders. What, sir? sense of joy that I write to inform you, your son, Private James Ryan, is well and at this very moment on his way home from European battlefields. Reports from the front indicate James did his duty in combat with great courage and steadfast dedication, even after he was informed of the tragic loss your family has suffered in this great campaign to rid the world of tyranny and oppression. I take great pleasure in joining the Secretary of War, the men and women of the United States Army, and the citizens of a grateful nation, in wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side. Nothing, not even the safe return of a beloved son, can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, Yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, 
earn what all of you have done for me. James? Captain John H. Miller. So here the heroic rescuer laid down his life that this one man might be set free and then he felt an obligation to live his life in a manner worthy of such a sacrifice. So once again we see how it's drawing its power from the one true story. Jesus makes the ultimate sacrifice for us, dies so we might be free and then if we really get it, then we want to live our lives in a way that's worthy of such a sacrifice. So a hero and a lover lays down his life for the ones that he loves. And we're all moved by stories like this. I mean, there's a moving ending there. Why? Why does it have so much power? Because it's drawing its power from the one true story. That's the secret to the success of all these blockbuster movies. Think about Titanic. One of the biggest box office hits of history in the world. And uh, it's, first of all, it's a love story. Jack pursues Rose. He rescues her from a life that's killing her heart. She's a prisoner to a man she does not love and is a social circle bound with hypocrisy and betrayal. In fact, Rose in the movie describes the Titanic as her slave ship. She's a prisoner. She's in despair. In fact, she's in such despair, she tries to end her life. When Jack comes to her, it's the first time anyone's ever loved her for her heart. And he sets her free from the small story that she's living in and invites her up into beauty, intimacy, and adventure. If you remember, he takes her to the bow of the ship at sunset and he asks her, do you trust me? See, in the same way God has been wooing us our whole lives, and he is calling us up out of our small stories, and over and over again he's asking us, do you trust me? Well, the Titanic, as we know, sinks. And as it sinks, there are hundreds that don't have life room in lifeboats, and they are floundering in the freezing waters in the North Atlantic. And so everything's gone. 
The beauty's gone, the romance, the adventure, what happened? Paradise is lost. And finally, it becomes clear that both Rose and Jack can't share the same piece of floating debris. So what does Jack do? He gets off of it and lets Rose get on it. And he is now going to succumb to hypothermia just so she could live. Once again, the heroic rescuer lays down his life for the one he loves that she, in this case, might live. In fact, I want, this, I want that uh, scene in your mind, so let's just watch this couple of minutes clip. The boat's organized. I don't know about you, but I intend to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star line about all this. I love you, Jack. Don't you do that. Don't you say your goodbyes. Not yet. Do you understand me? I'm so cold. Listen, Rose. You're gonna get out of here. You're gonna go on. And you're gonna make lots of babies. And you're gonna watch them grow. You're gonna die an old, an old lady, warm in her bed. Not here. Do you understand me? Can't feel my body. Winning that ticket, Rose, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful for that, Rose. I'm thankful. You must. You must. You must do me this honor. You must promise me that you'll survive. That you won't give up. No matter what happens. No matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose. And never let go of that promise. I promise. Well, he succumbs to the hypothermia, and he dies, so he might see the one he loves live. Uh, later on, Rose tells her story of Jack. She says, he saved me in every way a person can be saved. Now, of course, that's not really true of Jack, but it is true of Jesus Christ. He saves us in every way a person can be saved. Not only that, but the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Answer once and for all what God's heart is really like. That he's really good and he really loves us. I mean, even at the point of our deepest betrayal, when we were the farthest away from God as we possibly could have gone, God came and rescued us. He made a way. 
to rescue us. I mean, none of us have been loved like this by anyone else. He's come to save us in every possible way you can be saved. That's God's heart toward us. So what drives, really drives God's heart? The hero of the love story. What, what caused God to enter into the story on Christmas? What caused him to do that was to make sure that story had a happy ending, to make a way to be the rescuer, to save us, to have a relationship with him now and forever, to bring one day a time when paradise will be regained. But you say, well, yeah, it still seems like, you know, he left us here. And I just want to tell you, the story's not over yet. This story that we're in right now, that we've all been dropped into, that we've all fallen into this tale, this story has a happy ending. Don't you know that all the great stories that we love, they end happily ever after? You notice that? The movie just ends right, happily ever after, and it's a good feeling. Where does it get its power from? It gets its power from the fact that the one true story ends and they live happily ever after. In fact, I want to just go ahead and watch one more clip because this is one of those clips, again, that, that it borrows its power from the one true story. Now, in fact, as we're watching this last clip before we close, I want you to be thinking about why this clip is powerful and where it gets its power from. Let's watch this last clip on how it's the final scene of the Titanic. Now, Jack is dead. It's been 80 years since Jack has died. Rose is now an old woman. Her life is behind her. Her life is fading like the photographs on her nightstand. And we see this great ocean liner, Titanic, is now on the bottom of the sea. It's rotting down there. And then something happens. Let's watch.
So in the twinkling of an eye, the ship is restored, this marvelous ballroom, the doors swing open, and all the great hearts of the story are there. And then a grand party begins. I mean, this ending is borrowed right out of the scriptures, right out of the Bible. The idea of an of immortality, the idea of the restoration of all things. And then it begins with this wedding feast. I mean, in hope beyond hope, paradise is regained. I mean, this is the breathtaking ending of the movie Titanic. It's the end of this, you know, the animated Lion King movie. What happens? The evil one's cast down. And at the end of the movie, all creation is regained and made new. It's the end of the movie Gladiator. We see Maximus very much alive and healed, walking through golden fields to be reunited with his wife and his son. It's the way the whole series Lord of the Rings ends. Middle Earth is restored. I mean, you could go on and on and on. See, the truth of why these endings really capture our hearts is because that's how the one true story ends. There's going to be a restoration of all things, a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be reunited with loved ones who are in Christ, grandfather and grandson. We're going to lift up our glass to, to Moses and Noah and Paul and Peter at the great wedding feast. All this is really going to happen. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to hear him laugh. I mean, this is where all of history is heading, the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the story you and I have fallen into. This is the one true great story. So now this morning, I want to put this in the context of Christmas. I want you to understand the whole story to understand why Christmas is so important, because that's when God decided he must enter into the story himself to guarantee a happy ending to the story, to your story, and to my story. But also, I want you to think about the whole story for a moment, because if I know the whole story, if I know the plot, and I know I've fallen into the story, and I know where it's headed, that helps me know my part in the story. I have a part to play. I want you to think about this. If you were on the ship, the Titanic, and you knew ahead of time that it was going to sink, wouldn't that impact how you lived out your time on the Titanic. If you knew the end of the story, that this ship is going down and most of the passengers are unprepared for the disaster that's coming, wouldn't that cause you to not just live for yourself on the Titanic and see how much luxury you could have and how many good times, but wouldn't that cause you to begin to live with a sense of mission? Now, there are so many here unprepared. I know the end of the story. I know the ship is going down. So I, it causes me to want to live with a sense of mission. I need to help people that are unprepared for where the story is going. And so as we conclude here, I just want to remind you, we've been born into a great story. Now I've told you the whole story, and you know the plot. You know how it's going to end. But I want you to know that you have a part in this story, a part to play. And my challenge to you is to live out your part on mission. Understand there are so many people totally in the dark about where this story is headed and totally unprepared for the end that's coming. So answer the question that I began with, what kind of tale have we fallen into? 
a most amazing one and a true one. One that God himself had to enter in on Christmas himself, become a human, so he could make sure this story had a happy ending by going to the cross, dying for our sins, breaking the power of darkness over us. So we can know him now, and so there could be a new heavens and a new earth and paradise regained. That's the story. And if you know Jesus, your story has a happy ending. If you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting for? Ask him to be your Savior and Lord today. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing story that we've fallen into, or I should say that you put us into. You made us. You called us. You gave us an important part to play in the story. And I pray there be a sense of all of us, a sense of living on mission, knowing where the story's going. And also, Lord, I pray that this Christmas season we find ourselves with grateful hearts knowing why you came. You came, Lord, to woo us, to win us, and to make sure this story has a happy ending. So we thank you for this time of year when we can remember that and be grateful towards you and give you praise and honor. So I pray this week, Lord, that as we go about our day, we'd, we live with a sense of where it's all headed and what part we have to play. In Jesus' name.